This week on the Myths and Legends podcast, it's the story of Ilya Moromets and the Nightingale Robber from Slavic folklore. And you'll see that it's kind of like a medieval version of Batman versus Superman. We'll also meet back up with our old friend, the legendary witch, Baba Yaga, and see how she and her murderous servants actually run a really nice bed and breakfast. Then, on the Creature of the Week, you'll see why it might be a good idea to keep your phone in a plastic bag. You might need to shove it in the armpits of the sweaty, hairy little creature. This is the Myths and Legends Podcast, Episode 43, The Wasteland. This is a podcast where I tell stories from folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories you might not have heard, but really should. This week, we're once again back in Slavic folklore. So in the same tradition of all the Ivans, Koshe the Deathless, or Kashi as I wasn't really saying correctly, and Baba Yaga, who's actually pronounced Baba Yaga, which from now on I'll say that, but I didn't want to mess it up for the intro. Anyway, we're back there with the story of Ilya Moromets and the Nightingale Robber. Ilya is one of the most famous bogatir, basically like a knight. I don't want to give away too much, so I'm just going to jump right into the story. This is set in the Middle Ages, and I would date this story around 1000 AD. It's set in modern-day Russia and Ukraine, though when this story took place, nothing like the modern nation-states of Russia or Ukraine existed. I'll put a map on the discussion post approximating Ilya's journey. Anyway, on with the show. The men were having a difficult time. They were hammering poles to set up a campsite. A whole foot of snow seemed to appear in an instant. And now it was approaching midnight. Vasily, a merchant, had been told not to venture out in winter, but he had been reckless. Now he was beginning to get worried. They watched the snowflakes hit the ground around them, adding inches by the hour. Lanterns illuminated the inky blackness of the forest. But only so far, the men were worried. Now, the merchant was beginning to feel uneasy. The merchant gripped his fur cloak closer. He had been warned off this road and told to go around the wasteland. It was nearly 700 miles to go around, though, and the merchant didn't have that type of time. He doubled his guard and started the journey. The men were scared. They kept looking up from hammering poles in the ground to watch every sound in the forest. It's a forest at night, Vasily, the merchant said. There will be noises. Get back to work. Come to think of it, Vasily thought to himself, they hadn't actually seen any animals on the days through the wasteland. Not a bird, not a squirrel, nothing. That brought a type of chill that even the cold hadn't prompted. It was just a legend, the merchant Vasily told himself, the story of the nightingale, half man, half monster that lived in the forest. Just a story to keep the king's men off the road. Vasily was about to climb back into his carriage, when he heard yelling from the campsite. They said they needed him. He sighed and jumped back down into the snow. It felt like a foot and a half now. He trudged to the campsite. The men were terrified now, and they had all stopped working. Vasily demanded to know the reason, and the worker gestured downward. Vasily looked and saw a body that had been frozen under the snow. Oh, okay, well, that's unlucky. We'll just make camp on the other side of the road and bury him in the... But the worker stopped the merchant mid-sentence and gestured out into the snow. The workers had brushed off some of them, but as far as they could see, until the darkness overcame their lanterns, 
there were human-sized lumps in the snow, bodies of those that had tried to travel this road before them. Then, the men began to see a shadow flitting from branch to branch above them. Just beyond the lantern's reach, the horses began to neigh and strain against the reins. The workers dropped their tools and looked to the merchant, but he was already gone, running as fast as he could in the other direction. The workers and the guards went for their horses, but they were too late. They looked to the branch above them. Its eyes seemed to glow red in the light of the lanterns. And then they heard the nightingale's cry. Vasily heard it too, as it tore through the forest, shattering branches, annihilating his carriage, and turning his men to contorted, lifeless ragdolls. Vasily was far enough away by the time it hit. It only broke his legs, an arm, and a few ribs. He was knocked to the ground and struggled to gain his breath. His lantern was broken, snuffing out his last light. His ears were bleeding and ringing. As he crawled, hopelessly and painfully back the way he came, away from whatever monsters were behind him, he left a trail of blood. Then, he heard a sound, as if something was flying, and it landed with a thud behind him. Vasily knew that he would die here, but he may as well see who would kill him. Vasily labored to roll over onto his back. He saw a winged shape, eyes glowing even without the fire. Vasily looked into the eyes. It was the half-man, half-monster. Vasily died, knowing that the legend of the Nightingale was real. Ilya's parents had pushed him over by the window so that he could at least look out across the fields while they were gone for a few hours. At 18, he was too big to carry with them, so he had to stay here when they left. He liked the window, it gave him something to do. He had read every book on the shelf that constituted their library. Twice, Ilya could sleep in the warm sun or watch the subtle changes as the afternoon blended into evening in front of him. It was a profoundly boring life, even for the Middle Ages, but it was a peaceful one, and it was the only one he had ever known. Ilya had been born without the use of his legs. His father and mother, who had been blessed in every manner by God, prayed for a child in their old age. They knew that something was wrong after a few weeks, when his legs never moved, and definitely after a year, when the boy not only did not walk, but didn't even crawl. It was sad, but they had the means to take care of their son, and so they gave him a happy childhood. After hour four of looking out in the fields, Ilya was intrigued by a stooped form he saw coming up the road. Then, he could see that it was an old man, a beggar. It wouldn't have been an issue, except that the beggar stopped and took a long look at their property, looked up and down the road, and then jumped the fence and started walking up to the house. The man saw him at the window and changed course so that he could talk to Ilya. Ilya was beginning to worry about the stranger. His parents hadn't left him with any weapons or anything, dangerous strangers having never been an issue before. Little host, the old man said through his yellow teeth, give me alms, for Christ's sake. Ilya shifted in his bed. He said he couldn't give the man alms because he was legless, and then he silently chastised himself. That was stupid. And the beggar immediately picked up on it. Legless, huh? The beggar said. And almost before Ilya could protest, the beggar was standing over him in his bed. Inside. The man stunk, and Ilya looked around. He had nothing but his sheets and his fists. He had spent his whole childhood in bed, 
so he wasn't exactly in fighting shape. The old man bent down until he was face to face, and he asked the young man where the pitcher was. Ilya was confused. Like a water pitcher? The old man bobbed his head. Ilya pointed to a shelf where a metal water pitcher sat. Thank you, the old man said, picked it up, and left. Ilya watched the strange old, maybe robber, walk to the pump outside and place the pitcher underneath it. He pumped some water into it, picked the pitcher up, took a drink, and nodded. Then he left Ilya's view. Ilya was about to yell at this fairly polite bandit when he heard the man at the front door, again letting himself in. There's a forest out back, right? The man said, not looking at Ilya as he passed. Yeah, Ilya said. Great, come with me, the old man said from somewhere toward the back of the house. I can't. That's why I'm bedridden, Ilya said. Well, crawl if you have to, he heard the old man at the back door. I don't care. I mean, do you want to walk again? Ilya heard the back door shut. He almost corrected the man, saying that he had never been able to walk in the first place. But then he realized what the odd old man was offering him. If the old man meant to harm him, he would have done so already. Ilya pushed on the other side of the bed and crashed down hard to the floor. As he dragged himself by his elbows through the house, he kind of wished he put on pants that day. It was another 100 meters to the edge of the forest behind the house, and the old man didn't help at all. When Ilya finally reached the man, he rested, face down in the dirt. Here, the man said, giving him the pitcher. Drink this, all of it. Ilya struggled to a seated position and took the pitcher. He looked at the old man who really didn't seem to care if he drank it or not, and downed the pitcher in 13 or 14 gulps. Then he felt something, a tingling, burning, and then an odd weight around the lower half of his body. Then he realized he could feel the lower half of his body. His eyes wide, he looked at the old man who told him to get up and walk. Ilya reached out a hand, but the old man said, no, 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 not on me, on a tree. Ilya fell over to a spruce tree. He put his hand on it for balance and brought his legs underneath him. He was shaky and extremely unsure, but he rose to his feet. His eyes welled with tears and a smile washed over his face. If he felt remotely comfortable with the action, Ilya would have jumped up and down, but for now, he just needed to learn to walk. He took one step and realized this walking thing was harder than it looked. He went down hard and grabbed for the spruce tree next to him. He caught it, and then some. He tore the 150-foot-tall tree out of the ground and accidentally flung it out of the forest, and it arced over his family's house and thudded to a stop somewhere on the road. He spun around, still very unsure on his feet, and uprooted about three more trees before finally hitting the ground. Yeah, the old man said. I was worried about that. I made it too strong. I'm sorry. He said he would be right back and left with the pitcher. Ilya rose to his feet, and again, since he didn't know how to use his feet, he crashed down, taking several more trees with him in the few minutes before the old man returned. He also noticed that his nightclothes were getting shredded, not by the impromptu lumberjack work, but because of Ilya's massive, rippling muscles. Yep, the holy man had blessed the water into a medieval Slavic super soldier serum, but he kind of overshot the Captain America level and turned Ilya into a walking ball of muscle. The old man returned with the pitcher, looked at Ilya, drank half of it, and handed it to Ilya. Ilya downed the remaining water 
and his muscles immediately shrank to an impressive yet manageable level. Ilya stood again, bracing against the tree, just bracing against the tree, and not tearing the century-old spruce tree out and throwing it a quarter mile. That should be just the right amount, the holy man said. Thanks for the drink. And he said a prayer over Ilya. The holy man walked slowly back to the road, and Ilya, kind of getting the hang of the standing thing, yelled out, asking the holy man what he was supposed to do. The old man told him to stay here and continue to follow God. The man whistled as he walked along the road, never to be seen by Ilya again. We'll see Ilya almost immediately decide to go against the advice of the old holy man who gave him his powers and set off for adventure right after this. This week's episode is brought to you by Blue Apron. Blue Apron delivers fresh, sustainably sourced food to your door, along with recipes to make them into really great meals. It takes all the hassle out of meal planning, grocery shopping, and cooking, and ingredients come pre-portioned for their recipes, which is amazing. For example, a few months back, my wife and I wanted to make arepas. Well, we had to go across town to a specialty store to get masarepa, like cornmeal, and they only had this one huge package. We made arepas for a meal, liked it, and now we have a giant bag of masarepa just taking up space in the cupboard. Then, a few months later, Blue Apron had a really great beef arepas recipe. It had just enough for the perfect meal, so we didn't have to measure it, and we didn't have pounds and pounds of cornmeal from that sitting around. So yeah, if you like awesome recipes with fresh, high-quality ingredients, you can check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com legends. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. Also, you'll love not having pounds of unnecessary ingredients sitting around. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com legends. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. This week's episode is brought to you by Audible. Okay, so you know what Audible is. It's a place where you can choose from over 180,000 audiobook titles. You get them on your smartphone, iPad, tablet, computer, MP3 player, Kindle Fire, basically everywhere. The books are read by professional narrators, actors, and famous people. You know what Audible is. It's awesome. Moving on. I've been chomping at the bit to say this recommendation since I thought of it a few weeks back. The book World War Z is the best audiobook I've ever heard. It's an oral history of the worldwide zombie outbreak. And don't worry, it's almost nothing like the Brad Pitt movie of the same name. There are multiple threads of a largely unconnected narrative, and it builds into a larger story. The original had Alan Alda, Mark Hamill, Carl and Rob Reiner, and John Turturro as narrators. The updated one, after the movie, has Martin Scorsese, Simon Pegg, Nathan Fillion, and others. Seriously, it is amazing. Please check it out. You will love it. And to check it out, you can go to audible.com. They're offering a free 30-day trial membership. Go to audible.com myths today to start your free trial. Again, you can show your support for this show and get a free 30-day trial at audible.com slash myths. Okay, now back to the show. Three months later, Ilya was doing the one thing that the man who gave him his abilities had told him not to do. He was leaving. Walking came quickly, and while he found he was strong enough to lift grown trees from the ground, he wasn't so strong that he did so by accident. His parents were delayed and sent a servant to care for the son that they thought was bedridden. 
but they were surprised to see that he had cleared and plowed the entire forest by himself just three days later when they got home. One man throwing grown trees through the air being a less than normal occurrence in medieval Russia, or anywhere, well, it drew attention. People would come daily to watch him do amazing feats. Word of him was spread far and wide. And eventually, the king in Kiev summoned the man. Ilya said goodbye to his parents, who outfitted him with a horse, some light armor, and a bow and arrows for defense. He was obviously strong and capable now, but the capital, Kiev, was hundreds of miles away. It was unlikely that they would ever see him again. Ilya was no doubt sad to leave, but excited to see the world beyond the bend in the road, the one he had been forced to stare at for years when he was bedridden. After several long days of riding, he arrived at an inn. He stayed the night and talked to the other guests over dinner. They all assumed that Ilya was taking the road to the west, instead of the straight path that led right to Kiev. Ilya balked. The road around was nearly 400 miles longer. The road straight through would be faster. Since it was already late autumn, Ilya didn't want to risk being out on the road during winter, no matter what bonuses his holy water-boosted fortitude gave him. The innkeeper brought them their meals and told him he could do whatever he wanted, but the straight road was a wasteland full of strange things. No one who went through it arrived on the other side. There was the nightingale, a hideous half-man, half-bird who could kill you with a shout. Not only that, but if you got close enough, you could almost see an odd house glowing in the woods, standing on chicken legs. Ilya brushed it off as the rumors of a drunk old innkeeper. Besides, how did the innkeeper know if someone had made it out the other side? He had likely never gone five miles from this inn. Ilya thanked the man for his advice and went to bed. The next day, he would take the road out into the wasteland. Ilya wrapped his furs tighter around his face. It might have been too late in the year to leave, but when the king summoned you, the king summoned you. He had been traveling in the area the locals so affectionately referred to as the Wasteland for over a day. And now, it was starting to get dark. His stomach grumbled. He would need to break into his rations again tonight because he hadn't seen a single animal to shoot for food. Then, while riding through the forest, Ilya thought he heard something other than the autumn winds rustling the leaves all around him. He thought he heard laughing? He listened closer, but by the time he knew it was laughter, it was too late. A hideous form shot past him on the road, and he felt something smack his side, hard. He flew from his horse and hit the ground in time to see the witch, riding in a giant mortar, bank hard and turn back to finish him off with her large, weighty pestle. She smiled, and he could see her iron teeth reflecting the last light of the day. It was Baba Yaga. The witch hit him again, and he dropped to the ground. She thought that he was unconscious, but he knew he needed to get her off that flying mortar. He heard her sniffing the air, and then jumped to the ground in front of him. He felt her grab a handful of his hair and jerk his head up. He opened his eyes, just in time to see her putting a blade to his throat. She was surprised that he was conscious, and even more surprised when, after a blow to the head, he had her pinned to the ground with a blade to her throat moments later. It's unclear how they reached the arrangement, but Baba Yaga, after learning his name and lineage, decided that she would let him live. The blade pressed to her throat was probably fairly compelling too, 
but Baba Yaga agreed to take Ilya back to her home and give him a good dinner. After disembodied hands prepared a steam bath for Ilya, the man slept well in the spinning house of the witch. The next day, he learned all about the area from Baba Yaga, who told him about the forest ahead. As it turns out, Baba Yaga wasn't the only witch here. Her sister, also named Baba Yaga, lived down the road. Also, there was the nightingale ahead, but he was someone even the Baba Yagas didn't want to see. He could kill with a shout. Just a few days into his journey, Ilya could have turned back, but he resisted. He was going to do this. He stayed one more night with Baba Yaga and left the next morning. Riding along days later, Ilya heard more laughing on the wind. This again, Baba Yaga had warned him about her sister. He dismounted and led his horse off the road. He dodged the woman's mortar, and when Baba Yaga jumped off, this one brandishing a saber, she swung it at Ilya's neck. He caught her arm, and with his other, he showed her a well-written letter on tasteful stationery. It was from Baba Yaga for her sister, Baba Yaga, telling her that this man's neck should remain saber-free. Baba Yaga, too, laughed it off, apologized about the whole trying-to-kill-him thing, and sheathed their saber. Ilya stayed with her for two nights. Really quickly, yes, in some stories there are multiple Baba Yagas. As we've talked about so many times, folklore isn't remarkably consistent. Also, really quickly, if you haven't heard the previous episodes, I should really introduce Baba Yaga. As you can probably guess, she's a witch from Slavic folklore. She rides around in a mortar, driving with a pestle, has a house that stands on chicken legs and rotates, and might help you or eat you, depending on how delicious you look. She has floating hands that will either make people dinner or drag them out of the house and murder them. And sometimes she has iron teeth. Even though many of the characteristics seem kind of over the top and ridiculous, we're meant to see her as a deadly serious character. If you want more info on her, check out the other episodes where she's made an appearance. Episodes 5A and 16. Also, Baba Yaga is not a proper name. It means something like old lady. I've treated her like one character in the past, but there are different versions of her in the texts, like the legions of Ivans. I should also say that I got some corrections after the last Baba Yaga episode, where I made fun of her sleeping on a stove. I learned that it's not a stove like a lot of listeners would probably think of one, like a contained box, but it was actually a large structure that could take up most of the room, and people did sleep on it regularly. It was kind of just like one big heater. Thanks so much to Antonin for clarification on that. More and more days passed after Ilya left Baba Yaga too. He rode alone, seeing nothing and no one in the wasteland. He passed out of the first forest, and as he approached the second, he saw something. In the gray autumn afternoon, Ilya saw things littering the ground. Scattered and in piles approaching the forest were corpses and skeletons. For 30 feet up to the trees, and then as far in as Ilya could see, there were bodies. The nightingale. Ilya knew it had to be him. The Baba Yagas had warned Ilya about the nightingale with all they knew. They told him not to enter the forest. If Ilya did, he would be as good as dead. Ilya rode his horse back a quarter mile and tied him to a spindly little tree. He walked until he was about 300 feet from the forest and built a fire. Six hours later, Ilya looked as if he was beginning to doze, but he wasn't. The holy water hadn't just made him stronger, it had made his vision sharper, his hearing better, and Ilya heard something just inside the forest. It had been leaping from tree to tree, quietly, 
and it was nearly to the tree line. Ilya's heart beat faster and faster. He figured he was far enough away to maybe not be killed immediately by the nightingale's fabled cry. Then he saw it. Almost noiselessly, a dark, large, winged figure landed on a branch at the edge of the forest. Ilya saw it through a squint, and underneath his cloak, he was notching an arrow in his bow. He thought that he would only have one shot before the nightingale screamed. He didn't even have that. The creature at the edge of the forest uttered the most horrible sound Ilya had ever heard, and it hit Ilya like a hammer. He flew back from the forest, and when he finally skidded to a stop next to a corpse, his body ached, but he was alive. He was surprised by this, and the thing at the tree line, the nightingale, was surprised too. Ilya rushed to his bow, just as the nightingale screamed again. Ilya was ready this time, and even though the force of the blast hit him, he stayed on his feet. He weathered the blast and picked up his bow. The nightingale saw the man press on after what would kill most men, and he stopped being nice. The nightingale screamed and screamed and screamed, blasting Ilya with wave after wave, enough to liquefy a normal man. But Ilya, thanks to his holy water, was no normal man. He took step after step into the waves, which were painfully crashing over him. He slowly brought his bow to eye level. He aimed as quickly as the blasts that destabilized him every second would allow. It was when Ilya let the arrow fly that the nightingale knew he was in trouble. This large traveler wasn't dying and he wasn't turning around. Worse, he was aiming. The nightingale would have to lure him into the forest, his forest. The nightingale turned, but it was too late. Ilya had already fired the arrow. The nightingale didn't know it though, until it hit him. Ilya had aimed it at the center of his head, but when the nightingale turned, it caught him in the right eye and exited out the nightingale's temple. Then everything was silent. When Ilya saw the nightingale tumble from the tree, he dropped his bow and ran as quickly as possible to the monster. His ears rang and the right one trickled blood. When he arrived at the edge of the forest, he saw the eerie, monstrous man on the ground. It didn't matter if he was alive or not. Ilya moved as fast as he could to gag the man and bind him. And it was a good thing he did because as soon as he was done tying the ropes, the nightingale bandit gasped to consciousness. He was missing an eye and part of his head, but he was alive. Ilya dragged him back to the horse. The next few days were harrowing. Even for the equivalent of a medieval Slavic superhero, Ilya bound the nightingale tighter and stayed the night before entering the forest in the middle of the wasteland. The nightingale was gagged and bound and strapped to the side of the horse. Ilya didn't stop once. He pushed his horse as much as he could. Sometimes it was only a trot, but he rode for two days straight through the forest. The first night, it became apparent that there were others. Ilya couldn't see them, and they weren't jumping between branches, but they were there. Ilya heard their voices whispering in the night. He rode with one hand on the reins and one hand on the knife that stayed on the nightingale. No one interfered. Ilya exited the forest and rode for Kiev. After four nights with the Baba Yagas, a fight with a supernatural bandit, and a scary few nights in the forest, the rest of the trip through the wasteland was fairly uneventful. Days later, he arrived at Kiev. The king was intrigued by this bumpkin from far, far away. 
He had heard rumors of the kid throwing trees and clearing whole forests in a day. His smile faded when he learned Ilya took the straight road from his home through the wasteland. He told Ilya that this was impossible because, well, Ilya was standing before him. There were rumors of Baba Yaga, and everyone knew of the nightingale, the one that had killed so many. Ilya said first, it's Baba Yaga's, plural. I stayed a couple days with them, they're fine. Second, the nightingale guy thing is actually strapped to my horse out in the stable. The king couldn't believe it, and he rushed past Ilya, and the whole court followed. Ilya was lauded as a hero, as the nightingale was cut loose from the horse, but still bound, and carried to the dungeons. Everyone marveled at the man, or beast, or whatever he was, that he was still alive. He hadn't been given any food or water on the long journey from the wasteland. The king told Ilya that he appreciated the man's work in bringing the murderer to justice, and that the bumpkin would have a place in the king's court as a knight. Ilya was happy with his change of events, and found his new living quarters, got armor, and met the other knights. Ilya had made a name for himself, and he had just arrived here, and now he and the others would be able to take the straight road back home without having to worry about a supernatural robber murdering them. The future was looking bright. One night, he was awakened by dust showering on him had come from the ceiling. He didn't realize that there were earthquakes in the capital. Then he heard a familiar sound. The screams. The nightingale, they had loosened his gag. Ilya leapt from the bed. The castle shook with successive screams. Ilya rushed into the hall, just in time for it to start collapsing. The stones started coming down around him, killing people that hadn't woken up as quickly. Heavy blocks hit his shoulders and head, but the power given to him by the holy water protected him. It hurt, but he would survive. He could see the wall in front of him shaking, and Ilya ran to it, lowered his head, and crashed through it. He was only one story off the ground, and if a castle partially collapsing on him wasn't going to kill him, a ten-foot fall was nothing. He struggled to his feet. He could hear the nightingale in the city, screaming and killing whatever guards or people happened to hear the cry. Ilya rushed to his horse and new armor. The nightingale was getting farther and farther away. He was leaving the city. Ilya knew that he had wounded the thing's wings with the arrow shot when he captured the monster, so it likely couldn't fly. It had a head start, but Ilya knew where he would be going. Ilya put his armor on and spurred his horse to a gallop. They were going back to the wasteland. The nightingale escaped when, like Koshe the Deathless, he mistakenly had his gag removed and was given water by one of his jailers. He shouted his way out of the city killing everyone he saw before stealing a horse and riding for the wasteland, for the safety of his forest. It was several days on horseback, but Ilya never lost sight of the nightingale, just up ahead. They rode through forests and fields, back to the wasteland. The first snow came as they entered the forbidden area, and soon Ilya could see the forest in the distance, in the middle of the wasteland, the nightingale's home. Ilya spurred his exhausted horse to go as quickly as it could, he had to catch this monster before it made it back to its forest. The nightingale heard Ilya as he approached, and the nightingale's own horse was on the verge of death. The nightingale leapt into the air. Ilya was so awestruck by the nightingale 
that he had to force himself to get his bow. Until this point, he hadn't seen the monster in daylight, other than being bound to his horse. The nightingale was a stout and powerful man. He was wrapped in a cloak of black feathers, or was covered in black feathers. Ilya couldn't tell. He had hooked and vicious talons for feet, and massive black wings. Ilya saw him leap into the air and take flight, his injured black wings fanning out behind him. Ilya had his longbow out. He had one shot. If he missed this, the nightingale would disappear back into his forest. Ilya aimed from the back of his galloping horse, and he let the arrow fly. The arrow hit the nightingale squarely in the back. His wings folded, and he immediately stopped ascending and crashed hard to the ground. He skidded for a few feet and then stopped. Ilya galloped to the man or creature and unsheathed his new sword. He leapt from his horse and he could see the thick arrow protruding from the nightingale's back. Ilya had hit a lung. The nightingale would never scream again. The nightingale was crawling toward the forest, his claws digging into the damp, cold earth as Ilya walked up behind him. He grabbed the nightingale by his feathered cloak and buried his sword deep into the monster's back. Four more times, and he was sure the nightingale, the legendary monster, robber, and murderer, was dead. Ilya had seen the bodies. It had been too nice an end for one who had killed so many. Ilya heard rustling in the forest, just up ahead. He reached for his sword, but he didn't need it. The noise up ahead was a child. The child couldn't have been more than three and was wearing clothing woven from leaves and bark. She was looking at the nightingale and then Ilya, in horror, she broke into a sob before a woman, presumably the girl's mother, arrived at the edge of the forest. The woman gasped and covered her mouth when she saw the nightingale dead, face down on the ground with the sword in his back. Her eyes widened in terror when she saw Ilya. Don't worry, I killed it, Ilya told the woman and her child. But the mother pulled her daughter back from the tree line, away from the night. More and more people came to the forest, some older, some younger, until it was a total of 15 or 20, all broke into sobs when they saw the nightingale dead. Then, Ilya realized. This was the nightingale's family. Ilya didn't know the extent of it, but he was right. The nightingale was pushing 50. We don't have an origin story for him or how he met his wife, whether she was a girl who got lost in the forest and fell in love with the man everyone feared or something else, but we do know that he had several daughters with her. They were normal too, by the way. They weren't half bird or anything. The daughters found husbands from the occasional traveler that their father let survive. And with those husbands, they had children, one of which being the daughter that found Ilya and the nightingale. The nightingale had killed and robbed people, anyone who came through the straight road and his forest. But in some ways, it's understandable. He would very much not be accepted in medieval Russian culture, and the world was a dangerous place. I mean, a few days up the road were multiple Baba Yagas. Couple that with the fact that anyone who came through this forest was well-armed and usually tried to kill him on sight. I can see why he would just turn to straight out robbing anyone who came through. I mean, it's not justified, but it's understandable. Them living alone in the forest was the only way they could live together, as a family, in a world that would never understand them. And so that's what they did. The supernaturally powered nightingale robbed and killed so that they could survive together. And Ilya had killed him. 
at least some of the stand on Ilya as the group stood at the forest's edge. These were the people he had heard in the forest before. The night that he had taken the nightingale, he pulled his sword from the nightingale's back, the assembled family wincing. He didn't quite know how to communicate that he was sorry to the people for the loss of their grandfather, father, and husband, seeing as he had just killed said person. All he could do was look at them mournfully and not take the body as a trophy. He wiped the nightingale's blood from his sword, mounted his horse, and started the long ride back to Kiev. He didn't look back to see the family weeping as they took up the body of their family member and protector. Ilya would have more adventures and be hailed as a hero when he returned to Kiev, but he would never forget the monstrous nightingale or the family that he had left behind. So, full disclosure, I made the Nightingale slightly more sympathetic than the Legends, filling in some possible motivations. He does have children and grandchildren in the forest, but it's not explicitly stated that he was killing and robbing people to protect and support his growing family in a world that couldn't possibly understand them. The near-immediate murder of outsiders probably not helping the whole understanding thing. And this isn't the last we'll see of Ilya. He has other adventures and folklore. He's a fairly famous booketeer, or Slavic knight-errant and he fights a dragon and helps the king repair his castle. He has a long and storied life, and he's the only epic hero to be canonized by the Russian Orthodox Church. And his remains are supposedly stored in a monastery in Kiev. I posted a picture of his hand on the discussion post. Next week, there are three and a half stories of monsters. There are dragons, serpents, and, well, really just dragons and serpents. There are stories from Greek mythology, Norse mythology, and the lives of the saints we'll see little baby Apollo avenging his mom, Thor taking a fishing trip, St. George fighting the dragon, and another saint bribing bears with cakes. I want to say thanks to Jade Stop That, Fiery Moon 7, Jesse's Girl, Winking Face, Danica Boyce, Whiskey Jack 864, K Bucky 13, The Mighty Myth, ETWKC, Lily DG, John Merrick K, Shadow Pyre, Joel Listens, Nad Pad Had, Joanna Pearson, and Sir JB. I'm assuming you're a knight. For the reviews and the feedback on iTunes. Thank you all so, so much. I appreciate it. And if you'd like to leave a review, it does help people find the show. And once again, I really appreciate the feedback. You can find the show on iTunes or the iOS Podcasts app at itunes.mythpodcast.com. There's also a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of a stick-on two-foot-by-two-foot wall decal of a senior citizen woman using a rescue inhaler, yeah, that exists, you can get extra episodes, ad-free versions of this show, and source pack ebooks that won't beautifully accent any room. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info. The creature this time is the Abda from Mari folklore in Russia. It is a hairy, naked, squat humanoid. It's said that it walks backwards, but that's only because it's the direction its face and feet point, and that if you see it on a horse, it will be seated backwards there as well. The women and the men also have large, pendulous chests that they sometimes throw back over their shoulders. Don't know why that's important. They capture people for some reason, no explanation really. If you're captured, there are things you must do and things you must not do. Here's something you should not do. You should not cut them in any way. For every drop of its blood that falls to the ground, it makes another Abda. So yeah, another squat, naked creature with a backwards head to help out its 
mother? Father? I don't know how that works when it springs from blood. Anyway, it's a bad idea to cut it. What you should do, though, is shove things into its armpits. A lot of things. It apparently has large holes in its armpits, and if you shove things into them, it gradually weakens this creature over time, until they get tired and give up. The thought of getting into a wrestling match with a hairy little naked man or woman is made all the grosser by the fact that you need to shove all your possessions into its armpits to win, and then watch it wander away, sweaty and tired, with all your stuff. That's it for this time. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. Other music is by Pottington Bear and Blue Dot Sessions. Additional links to music are in the discussion post. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.